0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Welcome, everybody, again, uh, to Canyon Ridge Church. As John said, my name is Andrew, and I'm part of the staff here. Um, In case you haven't seen me before, that's probably because you don't quite associate with... The Young Adult crowd, because I actually happen to be the director of Young Adults Ministries. So if you ever wondered, what the heck does this guy do other than come say announcements every week? uh, That's what I do. And so it's great to be with all of you this morning and those of you who may be listening online to our podcast a little later on this week. um, It's such a blessing to be able to come up here and give you a word from the Lord that he has put on my heart. Um, And to start, I would like to tell you guys a little bit of a story. And this is a story about a man that I know um, pretty well, someone I've been acquainted with for a few years. And I want to tell you just a little bit about his journey into ministry, because it's somewhat applicable to what we were talking about today. And so he told me this. This was kind of an inspiration of mine um, before I jumped into ministry myself, um, or more like God threw me in there, and I kind of complied with it. And luckily, he taught me how to swim, uh, because that would be a big mess if he didn't. And this man, he was telling me this as a point of encouragement. He was saying um, that growing up through school, when he was in junior high and high school, uh, he was a pretty good student, right? He, he attended all of his classes. He didn't just uh, skip out on anything. He put a lot of hard work and effort into earning good grades. But there was one weakness that he suffered from, and one weakness that really tore at him. And that is this funny-sounding word called... Glossophobia. And now I may have pronounced that incorrectly, but hopefully you guys wouldn't know. Um, And what that is, is that is a fear of public speaking. Now, that's not very uncommon, is it? I mean, a lot of people have a fear of speaking in public. Um, The Washington Post recently had a survey out in 2015, and 41% of people listed the fear of public speaking as one of their top two fears. And it was listed, I know you guys have probably heard this plenty of times before, it was listed above the fear of death, it was listed above the fear of drowning, and it was even listed above the fear of going into financial turmoil from a large amount of debt. So people essentially would rather deal with financial debt than they would have to speak publicly. And that just sounds absurd to me, Uh, but I can relate because I also was that way once, and I still kind of am, but I'm here, so... Uh, God's doing awesome things. Uh, but aside from that, he was telling me this uh, because when he was in school, the one thing he couldn't do, the one thing he could never get himself to do was to give a speech or a presentation. As we know, um, for some of you, high school may have been a long time ago, and some of you may not be you know, uh, too far in the distant past. You would know that there were going to be classes that you had to get up and give a presentation. Uh, maybe you have to give a speech about the U.S. history or some sort of PowerPoint you created on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't know what kind of classes you took. I did that once, though, in college. That was the best class ever. Um, it was a tasty presentation, too, because I made sandwiches. Um, but this, this man, he, he couldn't do that. And it was kind of strange, because it's not that he necessarily had a fear or anxiety that he was going to get up there and freeze, But the problem was, through experience, he just kind of learned that he wasn't good at it. Like, whenever, every single time he went up there, everything was well-prepared, well-articulated, and he got up there, and he just dropped a big bomb, and the whole class laughed at him, or he got an F or something along those lines. And so it wasn't a fear caused by anxiety, but it was simply that he just wasn't good at it. Public speaking was a big weakness of his. And now where this ties into today is that this man, after graduating college with a degree in computer science, so he would have to do as little uh, vocal communication as possible, except for with his colleagues. Um, That's not a knock on you guys, because I know you guys are really smart. Uh, But that was his route, and that's why he took it. And here's the funny thing about that, is after he graduated college, he felt God tugging on his heart to go into something that terrified him, and that was church ministry. And that's terrifying, because what does that involve? speaking in front of people, right? And speaking in front of people with a purpose and for a reason. And he was absolutely terrified. And so he said, God, if you can put me into this role and you give me the words to say, and if people don't laugh me off the stage for the first month, then I'll assume that this is from you and I will continue on and pursue it. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what happened. Not that he got laughed off the stage, but that he went into ministry and now he's been serving in ministry for 20 years. Um, all around the United States, God has called him to about 30 different states over this time to share the gospel. And I had the pleasure of knowing him for a few years before he took off to go plant a church over in Wyoming. Uh, interesting enough. And I'm telling you this story, like I said, because it's related to the theme of what we were going to read today. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up with me to John 9. I don't have a Bible. I have this cool little tablet thing. I mean, if you don't, then we're going to have the verses on the screen as well. But we're going to start from reading in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. So I'll go ahead and read it out loud as you follow along. And it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him. Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts today and you know what baggage we come carrying into this building, Lord. And so I pray that Just for this next short amount of time, we would be able to give that all to you, Lord, that you would open our heart so that we may receive what it is that we need from your spirit so we can leave here today a transformed people with a renewed desire to seek you fully with every aspect of our lives, God. In your name we pray, amen. All right. So the title of my message today is also my take-home truth for you. I like to try to put what I'm going to say into one tiny phrase, so when you're done with all the rambling that I'm about to give you, you can remember this phrase, and you can take it home with you, you can invest in it, you can apply it to your life, and you can realize the value in it. And so what that is, my message for you today, and my take-home truth, is that our weakness... Is for God's glory. Now, I want you to repeat that with me. Ready? Our weakness. Okay, that's, that's good enough. Is for God's glory. There we go. It's like a repeat after me. Try again. Our weakness is for God's glory. All right, I should have clarified that beforehand. I apologize. That went way better in my head all week. And I knew it wasn't going to, but you did it. So I'm proud of you guys. I'm really happy. I gotta, I'm going to ask a question, and it's rhetorical, but if you feel like raising your hand, feel free is anyone here bad at something, anything in your life? Does anyone have a weakness? I see a few of you. Anyone anyone have a weakness, have a flaw, something you just can't do, you're not good at? I don't want to embarrass the 100% of the people in this room, uh, but I have to say that it's kind of obvious that all of us have some sort of weakness, right? Some sort of difficulty in doing something, and that could take any shape or form, right? When I say weakness, I'm lumping a lot of different things into it. Maybe um, it's something you suffer from physically, maybe it's mentally, maybe it's a weakness or a flaw in your character or your skills. See how this is a broad range of possibilities, what we would call a weakness. And the really cool thing about this is that even though we all have weaknesses, is that God has the ability to take our weaknesses and still use them for the good of his kingdom. And I think that's really awesome because it's something we all suffer from, but we all get to embrace the truth that even though we may deal with these flaws, disabilities, weaknesses, God can still use them for his glory. And in fact, this is a theme found throughout the entire Bible, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. But first, let's go ahead and look back at this story And we'll start off by looking at what the disciples' response was to this man. Because I would say it's fair to say that this man's condition was a weakness. He was blind. (laughs) He couldn't see. And that affected most aspects of his being. And so it was something in his body that held him back from certain things. Therefore, it was a weakness. That's what we're kind of classifying it as Just like how we all suffer from weaknesses, whether they're big or small, no matter what they may be, there's still something that we also suffer from. And so the disciples saw this man when they were with Jesus, and they leaned over to him and they asked, hey, Jesus, my teacher, uh, what is wrong with this man? Is he blind? Is he suffering from this weakness because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And it kind of sounds like a strange question, but if you think about it, the disciples really weren't too far off in wondering this, because there was, there's a relative train of belief that when we sin, we are going to suffer consequences um, in the form of suffering, hardship, or weakness, a difficulty, right? And biblically, that's true to an extent, because if you look at Genesis, I mean, you don't have to look very far in the Bible, right? Book 1, Uh, You have Adam and Eve who sin, and as a result, they have to suffer the hardship of being cast out of Eden, cast out of God's presence. They have to deal with toiling in the ground for their food and have to deal with painful and laborious childbirth. I haven't experienced that before, but I know a lot of you have, and uh, I I can imagine that's uh, painful, and it definitely is. And that's a result of sin in this world. Because of this sin, We have to deal with these results. And it's not too unlike other sins that might happen, right? If you commit adultery, you might end up with suffering through a broken marriage. If you steal, then you may have to suffer the consequences of the discipline of going to jail. Sin can have a play in our suffering or in our difficulty and our hardships, But that's not always the case. And we know that if we look at the book of Job, which is a fantastic book if you've read that. um, And the entire premise of this book is that Job went through all this suffering and hardship, losing all of his wealth, losing all of his family, everything that he held dear. Um, And it wasn't a result of his sin. It wasn't a result of something necessarily that he had done, even though his friends were trying to explain that and to get him to commit um, to revealing sin that he hadn't actually committed. And so we learn from that example that sometimes sin or a weakness or suffering in our lives, that's strictly a result of the devil trying to attack us and to keep us from experiencing God's love. And so when you put that into the situation, we then see Jesus's answer to them, which Typically, it's a really typical Jesus answer, I would say, because it's none of the above, right? Like, we like to think that we know everything, so we say, hey, Jesus, was it A or B? And he says, it was neither of them. Nice try, though. You're almost smart for a second, but I know everything. And so Jesus tells them that this weakness or this suffering was in this man's life so that God's glory could be seen in him, so that works of God could be seen in him, And so I want to look at this another way real quick, and that is that the disciples, they saw this man as damaged goods, whereas Jesus saw him as an opportunity to advance his kingdom, right? The disciples, the humans, they saw him for his flaws. They saw what he couldn't do, and they asked why he couldn't do it, whereas Jesus, he just acknowledged the fact that this man has to deal with a weakness, but through his weakness, God's kingdom will be advanced. And this is a side note. It kind of brings up an interesting question, which a lot of people struggle with, and that would be, does God create suffering for people of this world? Now, that's not the topic of today's sermon, however, it is a theme in John 9, and so I don't want to speak on it, um, however, I will mention, if you just give it a little short note, that Suffering in this world was not created by God, but is a natural factor coming out of the point that we have free will and that we can choose to do whatever we want to do. And it's just something that naturally occurs in this fallen world, but God can always use it for his glory. And so that's a sermon for another time, but I wanted to touch on that briefly in case anybody was thinking about it. Uh, But getting back to the focus today... Jesus' words here encapsulate one of the biggest themes in the Bible. And remember what that is? Our weakness. Yeah, that was sad. Our weakness is for God's glory. I'm going to make you keep on saying that so you actually remember it when you leave today. That's my goal. That's my, that's my one goal for today. And you see, this man was not just flawed. He was greatly flawed. To be blind in that day meant you can do literally nothing. His entire life was subject to this weakness that he had to deal with. You see, there was no Braille to read or write with. There were no jobs he could perform with no eyesight. And as a result, he had to spend his days outside of the temple begging for money, hoping that the generosity of those who would go in and out to worship the Lord would be enough to cover his needs. Because obviously, if he's out there begging, that also means that his family is no longer able to take care of him as they would. And so this man was unskilled. He was unable to work. And we can also surmise that he was too much of a burden for his family to take care of. So this is what he spent his days doing. And it's also important to note that he was born blind, right? He was born with this condition. He was, he was born without eyesight. He's never had eyesight. And he doesn't expect to ever in his life. And this is a really extreme example, I would say. Would you not? This is an extreme example of a weakness in somebody's life. Some of you, many of you may be saying that my weakness isn't nearly as bad as not being able to see. Maybe your weakness is uh, you don't like talking in front of people. And it's like, well, we can live with that, right? Most of the time we can live with that. But I believe that God, throughout the Bible, uses extreme examples because they make extreme impacts, right? They, they touch Lives more readily. When we see these extreme things happen to people, we're kind of drawn into it. They grab our attention. And would you not say it's extreme that this man who was born blind and who was later healed, as we will come to, had an impact that not only affected everybody who witnessed it, everybody that has known him in his, ent- his entire life, that has seen him when they go in and out of the temple, it not only impacts them, but it also impacts us 2,000 years later. As we read about it in the word, right? As we hear about it, as it changes our lives, as it transforms our understanding, that's an extreme impact, right? Like I can only imagine that what I'm gonna do is gonna be remembered by whoever knew me while I'm alive, let alone two thousand years later. Like this guy wasn't living blind, knowing that he was gonna make the cut of the Bible. Like he's like, All right, they're taking, you know, they're taking auditions for John 9, and I gotta make it in. That's not how it works. Right, He was just living his life with the weakness he had, and he let God do the rest. And now remember how I said this is a theme. Well, throughout the entire Bible, if you've read any of it, you would know that there wasn't a single person used who didn't suffer from some sort of flaw, some sort of weakness. And a lot of the time, if you look and you kind of want to analyze them, most of the time it was weakness of character. Um, Sometimes it was weakness of skills or abilities. In this case, it was weakness of his physical abilities, what he could and could not do. So I have just a really small list for you, and I'm going to read them out. Um, You have Isaac, who was an important dude, son of Abraham, and Isaac was a liar. He lied multiple times in the Bible throughout Genesis. Then you have Jacob, his son, who was also a liar and a schemer, right? He spent his time building up his wealth and his fortune by essentially stealing it from his soon-to-be father-in-law. You have Moses, who had a problem with speech. You had Samson, who was a womanizer, which is a weird point. You have Rahab, who was a prostitute. David, who committed adultery and murder to try to cover it up. You have Isaiah, who preached naked. Man, that would be a lawsuit just waiting to happen. Um, You have Jonah, who ran away from God. You have Peter, who denied Christ. Disciples, who couldn't commit to what Jesus needed them to do in his most dire time of need. And then you have Paul, who was both a Pharisee and a murderer, right? So all of these people had great flaws, and it kind of just seems like flaws, but if you really break it down, it was their weakness of character that resulted in these things, right? It wasn't that just, you know, one day it happened, but it was their characters, a glaring weakness in themselves that resulted in these Sometimes strange and uh, interesting and bad things. And so I hope you get the point through those examples. I had to cut that list like in half and then half and then half again. So if you want to math that, it's like one-eighth or something like that. And that's a really big list, though. Those are a lot of important people on this list. And just as this man had flaws that were brought on by the natural world, his were physically, other people, mentally, in character, in skills... We also have flaws, just as these people had flaws, and yet God is still going to work through us as he works through him. So let's jump back in to John 9 real quick, and we're going to jump ahead just a few verses and pick back up on verse 6, and I'll go ahead and read it out loud. It says, after saying this, he, being Jesus, spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva, and then he put it on the man's eyes. Uh, Just pause right there. That's disgusting. I don't know about you guys. But Jesus just hawked a loogie into the ground, rubbed it up a little bit, and slapped it on this guy's eyes. I don't think he was asking for this sort of thing. He just wanted some money. And Jesus says, I got something better. Hold on. You got to trust me, though, because it's going to get dirty. It's going to get real messy. And so after Jesus did this, he told him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went and washed. And he came home seeing, and that's our miracle. It's kind of like a really like passing tone. It's like, oh, he went and washed off his nasty eyes, and then he could see. You know, like, oh, cool, that's awesome. Um, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Now, I want to mention this point, and it takes just a small amount of context, not a whole lot, to understand that before the works could be done, Jesus asked this man to have faith and to do something with his weakness, did he not? Like Jesus didn't just cover, cover his eyes and restore his sight like he has done multiple times before, right? Jesus didn't just heal him on the spot, but he told him. He put this nasty spit mud on his eyes and he told him, now go and wash in this pool. So this man then had to go and find where this pool was located. I'm sure he already knew. But he had to get there, right, without seeing. And then he washed his face in it. So he had faith to not only go the distance to find the place where Jesus called him to be, but then to do what Jesus called him to do. And as a result, God's glory shined through him. And through his weakness, which was no longer to all the people who had witnessed him, all the people who had witnessed him begging outside the temple, For years and years and years, and they began to ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit in the bag? Now, in this circumstance, the man experiences physical healing of his weakness. And like I said, this is an extreme example, but it's not too far-fetched to believe that we can experience the same healing of our weaknesses... Because when we offer it up to God, what He's going to do is He's going to take our weaknesses and He's going to put His strength behind it and He's going to accomplish what He wants with it. And so it's going to seem like it is no longer a weakness at all. And so this poses the question where is your faith then that God will use your weakness for His glory? Because so many people here, I mean, 100% of you said that you have a weakness. So I want to ask you if if you aren't willing to give that weakness to God and to let him use it for his glory, then where's your faith in what he has said? Where is your faith in the promise he has made to live it out just as this man did? And if I had to ask most people, I would imagine the answer that I would get is something along the lines of how society views it. And I would say that society says that success proves greatness while failure proves weakness. And that kind of thinking keeps us from letting God use our weakness because naturally, we don't want to fail at things. And if being weak at something means we're going to fail at something, then isn't it just better off if we don't do it at all, right? That's what we think. We say, well, I'm real bad at this, so I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to look silly. I don't want to mess things up. So I'm not going to let God use my weakness. Instead, I'm just going to let it be weak let it just sit there in the back, push it away, only deal with it if I really have to. But that's what happens when we let the world shape our view of what we can and cannot do through Christ. You see, every time Christ opened his mouth, every time Jesus said something, it was like a brand new revelation to them. It was... It was something that was completely different. He took the whole world and turned it upside down on its head. And these people had to like turn their heads to understand it. Like, what are you talking about? Like, everything you're saying is completely different from what we've heard our entire lives. But what God is saying through the scriptures here is that our weakness is just as important to use for his glory as our strengths are. And so here's the deal with all this. And that's that it doesn't matter... If you can't do what God calls you to do, what matters is that you just do it, right? You go like Nike swoosh, just do it. He calls us to do something, and he's going to give us the strength to do it. And if you have any reservations about this, if you have any reservations about stepping out of your comfort zone, doing something you have pushed behind you so long ago because you know it's just not one of your strengths, then he's laid out plenty of verses for encouragement. I have up here 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and it says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And this is Paul talking about his weaknesses. And I think it's interesting that not only does he say that he has weaknesses and that Christ will work through them, but that he will now boast in his weaknesses. And you might have to step back a little bit and say, aren't we not supposed to be too proud, uh, not to have pride? Where's your humility, Paul? Well, you know, he isn't saying that he's going to boast uh, that God made him awesome, and so now he's awesome. He's going to boast and say, I'm really horrible, but God uses me to do amazing things through my weakness, and he deserves all the glory. And that's an important truth, and I'll tell you why. Because oftentimes when God calls us to do something, it's going to be something that leaves us vulnerable emotionally. It's going to lay our weaknesses out there. I can tell you personally in my own life, I don't know how many times I've been called to do something that is something I would never, ever imagine of doing in my entire life. For one instance, being up here. Never once did I ever think I would be speaking uh, because like the man in the story, um, I also had a difficult time speaking in front of people. I was lucky if I could get a sentence out uh, without some sort of weird, blended word running in with each other. And yet... I realized that God is going to use me even through my weaknesses for his kingdom, just like he is going to use everybody else. Because God doesn't say you have to lean on your weakness. God says to lean on him, and he will make your weakness shine God's character. And there lies the other thing that's holding us back. The other thing that keeps us from using our weakness for God's glory. And that is this. It's when God calls us to step into an area of weakness, we don't always trust that he's going to be there behind us to pick us up. Oftentimes, we can feel like we're alone, like everything we do is by our own strength, that I have to carry myself through these things. God, you may have called me, but I'm going to have to soldier on without your help. And you should know by now that this isn't true, and yet we still live like it's true. We still think that it's true, that we have to do things on our own, that when God calls us to do something that we're not qualified for, that we don't understand, that we have never once partaken in, we think that we have to do it on our own. But I'm here to tell you today through the word that that's not true. And in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 21, it says outright, may he equip you with all that you need for doing his will. And may he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. And this leads to an awesome point, and maybe you've heard this before. And if you haven't, then this is a cool little uh, play on words like, you know, pastors always have. Oh, here's this little quippy, quippy remark. And this is it. It's that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies those that he calls. He doesn't call people, necessarily, who already have all the skills to do the job. What he says is, I want you to do this, and I'm going to be with you to help you. Don't you think it's silly that he would ask Moses, who had social anxiety and speech issues, to lead his people out of Egypt, right? To be the leader of his people out of this persecution. Like, couldn't you have picked someone better? Like, someone who knew how to talk in front of people? No, he picked Moses. Why? So that every time Moses got up there and addressed them, every time Moses led them in a new direction, they would know it wasn't Moses leading them. They knew it was God leading them. And Moses just happened to be there and willing to let God work through him. And so if God has called you for a purpose, then all he needs is your participation. And he is going to help you with the rest. But participation is scary because that means we have to trust that he is going to use us. And I like how the message version puts 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 24. It just says simply, the one who has called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he will do it. We can have trust that what God has said is going to come to pass. And so if God calls you to do something, then you should do it whether you're good or bad at it, whether it's one of your strengths or one of your weaknesses. It doesn't matter what your abilities are. What matters is that you are available to let God use you. And I think that's so awesome because what that does, if you're going to live like that, if you're going to live not letting your weaknesses hold you back, when God calls you to step out and to do something, if you have some sort of social anxiety and God is calling you to go out and share the gospel and you say no because you don't like talking to people, you're missing out on an opportunity for God's kingdom to shine through you, through that weakness. If you're being called into a new ministry or a position at your job and you're not necessarily you know, 100% sure of how you're going to commit to it, but if God is telling you that this is your plan, his plan for your life, then he is also going to help you to accomplish it. And if you're being called to step out and serve in an area where you have no experience, then maybe God is telling you that along the way you're going to gain two things when you do this. One, you're going to gain the skills needed to serve. And two, you're going to gain trust in me so the next time he calls you out into a new position of weakness you already know that he's going to work in you. You are already embracing the fact that it's going to be by his power that the glory of the God is shown and not your own power. And so my closing point for you today is this, and I want you to take this home with you as well, and that is you should have faith that God will use all of you for his glory if you'll offer all of yourself to him your strengths, and your weaknesses, the things you can do and the things you can't do so well, right? God is going to use all of you if you're willing to give all of yourself to him. Let's pray. Father, you know how weak we are. You know how flawed we are. You know what we struggle with. And yet, you have the power to take these things and to use them for your good. And God, I pray that every single person here today, every single person that hears your message, would learn to embrace their weakness, God. When you call us into a place of weakness, I pray that no longer would we run away, no longer will we put that on hold, but instead we would stand up to the challenge and have faith and confidence that your word is the truth, and that you are going to help us so that your glory may be done and that your light may shine in this world. And Father, so we thank you for this word, God, and I pray that you would just press it on the hearts of every single person who hears it. In your name we pray, amen.